and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. I'm super excited to be here. I'm always excited to be here. I, I truly love your church. Um, the theme for our message today is this, and hopefully it'll come up a lot in the message, is this. The same God that saved you is the same God that is growing you. Okay. The same God that saved you is the same God that is growing you. And it is that passage in Philippians chapter 1. Before we launch into the passage, I wanted to tell you a really quick story about my daughter. I've got two little, beautiful little girls. They'll be here in the next service. Um, and when Ava, my oldest one, was probably four, I want to say, because we were, we were getting ready to welcome Olivia into the world, and a part of that process was we need to take Ava's stuff out of what was going to become the nursery and move it into the big girl room, right? This is a big deal, right? We've got, I mean, the the nursery was this tiny little room that we had in our house, and then we were going to move her into the big girl room. That's what we kept calling it because we knew it was going to be tough to no longer be the baby in the house. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced that, right? Um, So she was very excited. She was going to have her own space, and we needed to fill that room with stuff so we couldn't afford anything. So we were looking around to see what we could fill this room with, with used stuff and garage sales and all sorts of stuff online. And our in-laws actually had a little bed that you could pull out to make a bigger bed, had little drawers in it. It was really cute. And they decided to give that to us. But here's the thing about this bed. It was a third generation Ikea bed. So this is what, here's what I mean by that. And I think you know, Um, they bought it used from somebody who originally bought it from Ikea. And then we got it. We're the third third generation beneficiaries of, uh, of Ikea. So we, even when you buy those things new, I mean, the, the instructions can be a little confusing, right? But I went and got my friend Cotton, one of, one of my best friends in the world, and we went to my in-law's house about an hour away, picked it up. We asked for advice since there were no instructions on how to put it back together. We got all the supplies together and brought it back to our house in Canton, uh, Texas. And my daughter, Ava, who is very, she's a type A personality. She loves to be involved. She loves to help. She loves all of it. As soon as we got there, as she greeted us, and she was ready to help, right? As the four-year-old, right? She was ready to help. And we're moving all the boards in, and we're getting the room ready, and my friend Cotton is just one of the nicest, most responsible guys. He's an Eagle Scout, literally, so well, that's amazing. Um, but he, I could trust him. We're coming in there. We're going to build this bed or put it together, and Ava wants to help. So she's literally, as we're walking the boards in, she's got her hand underneath it. You know what I mean? And she's walking with us. After we got all the supplies into the room, she's bringing us more supplies, right? So it might be a toy screwdriver, or it might be a fake cheeseburger from her little kitchen set. I mean, whatever she felt like we needed, we were getting it in that moment. She was helping. I guarantee you, if you would have asked her that following week, um, hey, are you liking your new room? She said, yeah. She would say, I love it. You know, and say, oh, you got a new bed. Who put your bed together? She would say, uh, well, me, my dad, and his friend Cotton, right? Like, even though she really didn't contribute anything to the building of the bed, I was sure that I was going to complete this bed. I was sure that we were going to make it safe. We we're going to build it right. We we're going to do it. And I allowed my daughter Ava to help. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we will accept the grace of God that we've just been singing about, which I love those songs, so appropriate. We will accept the grace of God when it comes to salvation, but we won't accept the grace of God when it comes to life. 
Another way based on our message today and the theme of our message is we'll accept the grace of God when it comes to not being able to save ourselves, but we won't accept the grace of God when it comes to growing or becoming more like Christ or just living life. We don't often apply the gospel to our day-to-day lives. And that's why I wanted to come today and look at Philippians chapter 1. So if you'll go there with me. This is written by Paul. He was in prison when he wrote it. Excuse me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with all the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an introduction. It's a, it's a dear church, right? It's, we know who wrote it and who it's to. Written by Paul, two believers at the church in Philippi. And one of the most wonderful things about this book is you can see Paul's heart all over the whole book. He loves the church at Philippi. And God was clearly moving in their midst. How do I know that? We're going to see that in the next few verses. Verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, having always in every prayer of mine for you, making prayers with prayer, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see the heart of a pastor in this passage and all over the book. Paul genuinely loves these people, genuinely loves these people in the way that your pastors genuinely love you. And your shepherding elders genuinely love you, and the staff members genuinely love you. A lot of the time, that gets kind of lost in translation, where you're wondering, do my pastors actually love me? Do they actually care about me? Well, I used to be a youth pastor in Texas, and I can tell you that being in that church for long enough, I got to see kids grow up, and kids begin to grow into their faith and serve the Lord, and it was a really wonderful blessing. And it culminated in this last month, I got to go down and be a part of the wedding of one of my former students. And I was, in, I was in his uh, groomsman party there, and I first met this guy when he was in the sixth grade, and he was just a sweaty middle schooler running around, causing problems, breaking stuff. I didn't know what God would do with him, but God's shaping him, calling him to ministry. He introduced me to his fiance months and months and months ago, and I got to stand there and be in the line with him. And I got to say, I'm an emotional person anyway, but seeing how God has worked in Justin's life overwhelmed me. Not because of me at all, but because of God working in his life. I, I love him, genuinely love him. Uh, in November, I'll be able to be a part of another wedding for one of my other former students that God is growing and, and I'm, he's just, God is really just blessing his life. And I guarantee in November, when I go down to that wedding, I'll be overwhelmed with joy to see how God's working in the life of this young man. Sometimes we forget the, the passion and the love that pastors have for their people. He says, I thank God in my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then we get to verse six, which was a verse that people would quote all the time, but I never knew why people liked it so much. (laughs) It's one of those verses that if you go to Mardell or even Hobby Lobby, you'll probably find it on a pillow or on right under the gather banners, right? I mean, it's, it is right there. And for many years I thought, why do people like that so much? Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, church at Philippi, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I want to read that again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture. Paul's saying, I thank God for you and my remembrance of you and your partnership with me from day one until now as I sit in prison. 
but God's not done with you yet. And he is working in you, church. And the work that he has begun in you, church of Philippi, he will bring it about to completion. Now, some of you might be asking, like, why did you not get that? Why did you not get how powerful that verse is? And for many years, I didn't until about four years ago when I read that again for myself and realized that it's not my power that grows me any more than it was my power to save me. Here's our first point for today. It's a little wordy, but here's our first point. Your power, Christian, didn't save you, and your power will not change you. Christian, you can take comfort in knowing that God will continue to grow you. I want to read that again. Your power did not save you, and your power will not change you. Christian, you can take comfort in knowing that God will continue to grow you. Here's my opinion. If you're a believer, you will grow. It's just a question of to what degree. If you've been, another way to say it is, if you've been changed by God, if your heart has been made new, if you've been brought from death to life, if you've been hit with the semi-truck of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will change. God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The question is to what degree. We've all been aware of senior adult saints who might be 90 and they might have been in the church their whole life and they might have made a profession of faith. They might be genuine believers, but they've not grown a lot, but they've grown a little, right? They might be spiritual infants still, but they've grown. Or you might know a brand new believer and they've been a believer for a few weeks and it seems like they've known the Lord for 50 years. God is the one that brings about change. Let me say it this way. Paul planted the church in Philippi. You can see the birth of the church in Acts chapter 16. But it was actually the Holy Spirit that brought that church about. It's actually the Holy Spirit that brought that church to being. And it's also the Holy Spirit that will continue to work in that church in Philippi all the way until they see Jesus again or when he comes again in person, right? Either through death or through his second coming. He's saying God is the one that's going to continue this work that he began in you. And I apply it to myself The same grace that we sang about, grace alone we sang about a few songs ago. We'll say, yes, that's wonderful for salvation. I love it. I love it. I give give it to me. I need all of it. Grace. I couldn't do anything to save myself. I stand with Martin Luther going, it's only grace, right? It's only grace. Amen. Yes and amen. We could talk about the wonderful spellbounding grace of Jesus Christ all day long. We would never get tired of doing it because it's a miracle. We can't explain it. Thank God that though we were enemies of the cross, Jesus, knowing that we were lost in our sin, came to earth, died on a cross, didn't stay dead, rose again and appeared to many all in accordance with the scriptures so that you and I could be in a right relationship with him. We did not do that. He did that. And when we were enemies of him, he rescued us. And in that same gospel truth, he won't leave you. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever been living your life and then you realize you're doing it all yourself? What does that look like? It looks like I I don't pray anymore. It looks like I just do it. I just figure it out. I just, oh. I just just take it on my shoulders and I just make it happen. And we expect perfection from ourselves. And when we don't meet that perfection, all of a sudden we feel afraid to go to God. Have you ever felt that? When we fail... Sometimes we run from God instead of running. We go and start cleaning some stuff up, and then we'll go back to God once we've had a Bible study or two. When, in fact, the same 
gospel, the same good news of Jesus Christ that was applied to your account and called you righteous because of the grace of Jesus Christ applied to your life, because of his blood applied to your life, still applies to you today. But we don't rely on it. Point again is your power didn't save you and your power will not change you. Christian, you can take comfort in knowing that God will continue to grow you. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is just a side note. But don't you want that kind of relationship with your church members? With, your, with the folks that are sitting in this room? Paul the Apostle throws aside any weird feelings we have about not being able to express our emotions as men and says from prison how I yearn for you I yearn for you we're both partakers in the gospel both partakers in the grace rather that Jesus Christ provided for us from the beginning of my imprisonment now I yearn for you I love you you see the heart of a pastor here verse 9 and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Think of, think of these different things that he's asking for, he's hoping for, for his people. That their love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He yearns for them. He hopes that their love may abound with knowledge and discernment that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. You see the hope of a pastor, you see the heart of a pastor, and you see these things that Pastor Paul here really, really genuinely hopes continues to happen in the life of the Philippian church. These attributes that they would continue to grow in them and be added to them. From prison, he's saying, keep growing. I pray that these things come about. But here would be the question, how? Where are they going to come from? Where are they going to come from? He continues to talk. He even brings up the fact that there are people out there preaching the gospel for their own selfish gain. But he praises God that the gospel goes out even still. He talks about to live as Christ and to die as gain. He walks through the, the example of the humility of Christ in chapter 2, which is one of the most beautiful pictures of humility and how we're to act towards one another if you look at the beginning of chapter 2 using Christ's example. And then in verse 12, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have you ever heard that before? You're going, this is the same Paul that said this in verse 6 of chapter 1. And I'm sure that's it, he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion the day of Christ Jesus. It's the same Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 that says you're saved by grace through faith. Not of your own doing. So that no one may boast. And then he says, work out your salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's one of those other ones that would confuse me for the longest time, but I just never continued to read. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sometimes we really struggle when we read the book of James and then we compare it to Ephesians. 
Or we read the book of James or maybe an Old Testament book and we read the book of Romans. And we go, well, which is it, Paul? Which, which is it, James? Is it works or grace? And the answer is yes. But one comes before the other. One comes before the other. Here's point number two before we move on. Since you have been changed, move forward. Since you have been changed, Christian, move forward. What is the condition or what allows you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, signifying that it is an important and weighty task to not presume upon the grace of Jesus Christ, to not assume the grace or like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? To not assume upon the grace of God and just kind of float through life, not caring about what he says, not caring about the word, not having any affection for Christ. Those are dangerous places to find yourself. But to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we are talking about life and death. We are talking about eternity. But really, we're talking about the reality of the living God and how we are to relate to him. He says, Christian, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But what does that, what is that birth out of? What allows for that working to happen? For it is God who works in you both to will, excuse me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even as you, or especially as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as you seek to understand God better and seek to grow in your relationship with him, you cannot do that outside of his power. It is God who works in you. Jump down with me, excuse me, jump down with me to chapter 3 and verse 12. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, not that I have already obtained this, talking about righteousness through faith in Christ, not that I have already obtained this, Paul is always very honest to say, I have not arrived, I am not perfect, I am still dealing with sin like everybody deals with sin. Not that I have already obtained this um, or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. There's another action point, isn't there? I press on to make it my own, Paul says. Paul was about action. If you read anything in his epistles, you read anything in Acts about what he did in his missionary journeys, he was about action, moving forward, work. Not what I can do so many times and just sit back and assume upon things, but because of who he is in Christ, he moves forward. Since you have been changed, move forward. Let's continue reading in that same verse in 12, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Read the full verse again. Not that I, Paul, the Apostle Paul, have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a ditch on both sides here, on both sides of this thing, where there are some that would presume upon the grace of God and literally sit on the couch and go, God, transform me. I'm not going to read your word. I'm not going to be a part of a local church. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to grow to learn the truths of who you are and what you've done and what I'm supposed to do with it. I'm not going to do it, but change me. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's very common. Very dangerous. I think the devil loves that situation. Where somebody goes, hey, it's just grace, right? But I don't have any affection for Christ. I don't want him. I make no steps 
forward out of a love and based out of an identity with him because he's in me, because he won't abandon me, because I've been changed, I will move forward under the grace of God. And then there's another side to this ditch over here is the person who does it all right. They've got it all together in their mind and they become satisfied in how good they're doing. Are you with me on that? They become satisfied. It, may, it would make them uncomfortable to make the statement that Paul made. I have not obtained that. I have not reached the goal yet. I strive towards it. They'd be like, well, I'm, I'm pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty righteous. I obey the law, right? I do good things. I never miss church. I never miss a quiet time. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's two ditches on both sides. And so often we run to one or the other, most of the time not on purpose, and we stay there for whatever reason. The grace of God that's been applied to us motivates us. One of the marks of a Christian is that although they are dealing with sin in a Genesis 3 world, they want Jesus. And they follow him imperfectly, but they want him. All my life I grew up in church not really caring what God had to say to me in any way, shape, or form. I was going to do what I was going to do. And something changed when I was in college and God transformed me where for the first time I cared about what he thought. And I wanted to sing to him. And I wanted to be satisfied with him. And I I longed for him for the first time ever. Knowing that you'll make a mistake, knowing that you won't do it perfectly, shouldn't stop you from pressing forward because he won't stop working in your life. He is in you. He has purchased you. And he will bring about that work that he began in you till the day of completion, until you die and see him face to face, Christian, or he comes again in our lifetime. Now, there's something I want to kind of address. This week, next week, and the week after that here at Ventry Church, it's really kind of a little kind of unofficial mini-series about family. But here's the deal. I haven't brought up family even one time yet. Next week on Saturday for the Family Fun Day, I believe it's called. You got to register for that. One of, somebody that I look up to big time, one of my favorite preachers, writers, professors, his name is Jonathan Williams. He'll be here next Saturday and Sunday. Man, I can't wait for you guys to meet this guy. I love this man. I trust this man. He loves the Lord and he is a, man, he is, you are going to be so blessed by that. The following week, you'll be equally blessed by Pastor Hal as he comes from a word from Titus about discipleship in the church. Pastor Williams, next week, though, we'll talk about Psalm 78, 1 through 8 and generational discipleship. You'll hear things like you've heard from me in the past, which is parents and grandparents, you're called to be the primary disciple maker of your kids. You're called to be the primary disciple maker of your kids. The next week, you'll, you'll hear about the involvement of the church and older men discipling younger men and older women discipling younger women, and the focus will still be next weekend and the week after that, what is God's plan for the family? And people start to bristle at that topic because family is tough. Somebody told me once that you're always about an inch away from really traumatic stuff when you begin talking about family. Am I right? I wanted to hold off on bringing family up until we worked through this part first. To go, individual, and as a church, where do you stand with Christ? Are you relying on yourself for life, for growth, for advancement in the gospel? Or are you relying on him? The power is available. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is in you. Or are you taking it all on yourself? I want to start there. 
Listen, family can become one of the easiest idols in your life. I say easiest, and here's why. We love our family more than anybody. Family can become a quick idol. Children can become a quick idol. They could be given a burden that they never were intended to be given. It's a weight that they can't carry. Where our whole lives are focused on them. How they're doing. What they're doing. The success of them. The failure of them. Them, 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 them. It's, it's, they can become God. The topic of family ministry can become God like any other doctrine or any other discipline can become your focus, your love, what satisfies you, like what we were singing about earlier instead of Christ. Our kids, our grandkids, in the same way that our job and, and, and our hobbies and everything, that can become a God just like anything. Even though it feels good to make our lives about our kids when ultimately we've got to make it about God. We've got to make it about Jesus I wanted to give you five practical points before we launch into the next two weeks. Are you with me? About what you're going to hear and about what you've heard today coming out of the overflow of this passage today. Think of it this way. Since you have been changed, move forward with yourself. And since you have been changed, move forward with your family. Here's the practical point number one. I'm talking to families here, but another reason I waited till the end here is because there's people in here that are single adults. There's people in here that, are, that don't have any kids. There's, and all of which, I want you to listen to this in the same way that you're listening to what we've seen so far and think about what does this have to do with you and how you interact with the families in this church. They need you. Number one, you will mess this up. <laughs> Remember, perfection didn't save you. God saved you, and you will not. And He will not stop growing you. I, I just want us to take a deep breath and go. We will mess this up. When I first became a father and got exposed to all of these awesome things in family ministry, I was so excited. I was just jacked excited. How, what will my family ministry look like in my home? What will family worship look like in my home? We're going to do it every day. And then I'm going to take Ava through this catechism. And then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I was sharing with one of my mentors who was far older than me, wiser than me, more experienced than me, more godly than me, sharing with him in his truck one day after lunch, all my excitement. You know, I'm thinking about doing this and doing the other. And then we're going to move through this and we're going to do that. And I was just talking about me, my wife, and at that time, my one daughter. And... He's listening to me patiently as I'm just rambling on. And he says, Frank, you've got to prepare yourself to mess up. You've got to prepare yourself to mess up. What he meant by that was, you are expecting, whether you would never say this out loud, you're expecting a lot from yourself and from others. You're expecting perfection. And when you fail, it's going to hurt even worse because you're not giving yourself any grace. At first, I was kind of offended, which sounds about right. I was kind of offended, like, well, I just, I just shared all this exciting stuff with you. Why don't you encourage me? You know what I mean? It's one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. I had never been a parent. I had never known what it was like to try a family worships uh, little thing in my home and think that Ava was going to be so jacked and excited about it, and she threw a fit and wouldn't do any of it, and I felt like a failure as a dad, like... I needed my friend Brad to warn me, hey, this is coming. I should have known that. But in my optimism and in my, ah, let's do it, let's conquer the world. He's like, you are going to mess up. 
But the reason I'm saying that this morning is you need to remember grace. You need to live in this Philippians 1.6 truth that he is working in you. It's not your power to save yourself or to change yourself. It's also not your power to be the perfect parent to your kids. You're not. You're going to fail. But he never will. And he'll never abandon you in the task of parent discipleship, home discipleship that he's called you to. Number two, you cannot save your kids. Remember, this is preparing you for next week and the week after. Parents, you can't save your kids. Grandparents, you can't save your grandkids. Grandparents, you can't save your grown kids. We would never want to force anybody to believe anything, but sometimes we just wish we could flip a switch and they'd start believing, right, in those, those different things. You can't save your kids. There's no formula. If you do this thing, then you do that thing, boom. Christian kid that won't embarrass you. Also believes the same political views as you. Also roots for the Colorado State Rams, but I won't, I won't say that anymore. Side note, my daughter asked me one time what would happen. I don't know why I'm saying this. She said, Dad, oh, there's all these colleges. Like, um, am I going to go to CSU? I was like, if God leads you to that, that'd be fine. You know, but if they don't have the major, blah, blah, blah. I was like, there's lots of colleges out there. And she goes, well, what if God leads me to see you? I said, well, not that one, honey. <laughs> if Joe's in here, Joe's in the next service, I, I, listen, I, I, forgive me. Forgive me, but it's true. Um, so <laughs> here's, you cannot save your kids. They will each have to stand before Christ alone at judgment. Now, this is not a cop-out for parents. This is not anything like that. It's actually a message to teenagers that are in the room and kids that can hear me in the room. So many of my friends that are in my generation blame their parents for everything and blame their grandparents for everything. And they blame their churches for everything. Oh, the reason I don't believe anymore is because I saw hypocrites. And the comforting thing for all of us to agree upon here is that we all have hypocritical tendencies. And we're all in desperate need of the grace of God. Student, child, uh, uh, teenager, all of us, but I'm kind of thinking of the kids right now. At judgment, you won't be able to blame anybody. That's for us too. There's not going to be a time at judgment where we're like, oh yeah, well, the reason, Judge Jesus that I didn't follow you with this is because of this jerk over here. This is a real jerk. You know what I mean? And no, you will never be more alone in that moment. You will never be more known in that moment. Christians will appear before a judgment totally saved, forgiven, and yet will still have to give an account for the life. Those that have not placed their faith in Christ in this life will face King Jesus outside of grace. In both scenarios, you're completely alone can't blame anybody. This is not a cop-out for parents. Like I said, this is not an opportunity for parents to say, uh, hey, well, it's just up to you, so it's not my deal. No, God has called us and commanded us as parents and pastors like Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, Ephesians 5 through 6, and many, many more, that we are called to disciple our kids and grandkids. It's a command. But you can't save your kids. Number three, fight the demon of comparison. One of the easiest ways to be discouraged in your parenting is to compare yourself to other families in the church. Fight the demon of comparison. I mean, you, you guys hear that. It's plain. You've, we've all experienced it. But based on what you hear next week, which will be wonderful, based on what you hear the next week, which will be wonderful, you'll start to think in your mind, oh, there's other families that do this really well, and it's not us. I have, I have friends at my church that do catechism every single night at a dinner table from food that they made every single night. 
And I, I get really insecure because I don't do that. And I fail all the time and I forget family worship times and all that. Are we remembering grace? One quick way to forget grace and that God is the one that's working in us and that will change us and our family is to look at other families and go, man, I'm not even going to share what's going on in my house because, man, I'm a loser. <laughs> I don't keep it up like them. It's a demon of comparison. All the while, that family's comparing themselves to other people as well. Number four, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to love Jesus. The most important thing you can do for your kids is to love Jesus. It's not a show, but as you love Jesus passionately, they're watching. There are many, many, many different methods out there for home discipleship. Many, 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 many tools, catechisms, family worship guides. There's books. There's, there's theological uh, uh, dog. There's all sorts of sermons and conferences and things that you will be flooded if you start looking in them. I know because I live in that world and our organization creates resources in that world. It's like there's so many and there's so many awesome ones and we can get lost in the mix like I did early on just going, I'm going to do, 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 do instead of focusing on Jesus and just loving him. Where you'll find people sometimes that go, well, you don't recite your catechism questions every night or you don't pray every single night or you don't do this or that every single night. We don't do it every single night. So we're failures. We're losing sight of Jesus and the grace that's offered to us when you will fail. But God's not done with you and he's not done with your family. So love him. And it is the most, empower, the most powerful thing you could do with view or in the view of your kids and in your own life. Number five, since you have been changed, move forward. You're going, well, you already said that. I want to say it again, but in relation to your family. Since you have been changed, move forward. You might have heard of the, the concept of spiritual disciplines. There's a book by a man named Dr. Donald Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines, and it's a fantastic book. There's others like it, where he goes through scripture and he goes through church history and he lays out what faithful men and women of God have done over the course of the history of the church to grow closer to him. Kind of like Paul is saying, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not obtained it yet, but he presses on. How can you press on? How can you move forward in the grace of Jesus Christ? And the word might not ring to you very well, but spiritual disciplines, coated under the grace of God, covered under the grace of God. Family worship, like you'll hear about next weekend, is a spiritual discipline like Bible study. Catechism for the families that want to do that is a spiritual discipline like attending church. It's a spiritual discipline because because of our bodies and Genesis 3, it doesn't come naturally for us. We have to fight. Have you ever had to fight your own self to open the Bible? I have many times where I just would rather watch TV. I would just rather check on the games or I would just rather these different things instead of, it's a fight sometimes because we live in these sin-filled bodies in the sin-filled world. I am selfish, therefore I want to serve myself even though I want Christ. It's this battle that Paul talks about in Romans 7. So that's why it's called a discipline. But here's the cool thing. As we grow in them and as we continue to do them, always remembering that it's only the grace of God that changes us through these means. When we do these things, we begin to know him better. It helps us. He doesn't know us better through that time. We know him better and learn how to hear from him better and grow in the discernment that Paul prayed for even for the church at Philippi. Since you have been changed, move forward. 
One of the reasons I want to bring that one up last is this. Sometimes we're going to hear the things that you'll hear next week and the week after. We're at a marriage and family conference or reading a book about Christian parenting or something like that and we'll go, Paff. that's not from, that's for somebody else. I would, I would warn us against that and give a qualification and this is it. The same exact method might not work for your home. It won't look the same from house to house. And yet God's calling you to something in family ministry in your home that will require intentionality. That will require you to step out of your comfort zone to teach your kids about who God is, what he's done, and what you're supposed to do with it. All the while, you must remember the truth of Philippians 1, 6 for yourself and for your family. That he who, has began, who began a good work in you and in your family will bring it about to completion so we can trust him in it. Now, I don't want to assume this or anything. You might be, you might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm hearing this. You say the most important thing I can do for my kids is to love them deeply. But if I were honest with myself today, I don't really care. I don't really care. Life is difficult. I have so many things on my plate. Uh, Jesus is a far distant historical figure. I love the songs. I love the people here at Bentry. But I don't really care. I would invite you to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. In, in Acts chapter uh, 2 and 3, you see Peter. In Acts chapter 2, you see him preaching at Pentecost. This guy who once denied he even knew Jesus had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, he's preaching boldly to thousands of people. And in true uh, Peter fashion in Acts, I mean, here's what the sermon typically goes like. <clears throat> Jesus was the Messiah. <clears throat> the, whole, the Old Testament prophesied that he was, and turns out he was, and you killed him. Right? Like, that is the summary of Peter's sermons in Acts, right? He goes through these big passages and said, hey, Jesus was the Messiah. Hey, Jesus was the Messiah. Isaiah said he was the Messiah. Jeremiah said he was the Messiah. He really was the Messiah. Hey, Jesus the Messiah. Newsflash, you killed him. Right? <clears throat> and then in chapter 2, in verse 37, after hearing the sermon that I did not do justice with just now, in verse 37, now when they heard this, the crowd, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to one of them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In a similar vein, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you'll turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 10, or 16, sorry. The same chapter where we see the birth of the, of the church in Philippi. The Philippian jailer is converted. And we won't read all of the passage, but this man that sees that the, these guys stayed in their, in their prison cells, but they, they didn't leave. He, he, he goes, sirs, in verse 30. Then, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I want to read three different passages from the same book to say, oh gosh, I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about what he has to say about my family. I haven't to this point, but what do I do to change that? Well, you can't change that, but Jesus can change that. And the apostle Peter, along with the apostle Paul and all over the book, books of the New Testament, repent and believe, place your faith in Jesus and you'll be changed. 
Works do not save you. Grace through faith saves you. The gift of grace that you can receive this morning. To repent just means to turn, to have a change of mind, literally the word means. To turn from following yourself and to turn to follow Christ in faith. You don't have to have all the answers. You won't have to have all the answers. But today, God can and will change your life if you will repent and place your faith in Jesus that times of refreshing may come. Let's pray together. Father, I do praise you for your goodness. I praise you for the fact that though we could not and cannot save ourselves, though we were enemies of you, Father, that as you came in, you intervened into our lives. You made a way for us to be changed. You made a way for us to be adopted, to be known. Father, I pray that you will prepare the hearts of everyone in this building for what they hear in the next two weeks. Father, I pray that their hearts will be ready to learn from you and to dream about what you want to do in their homes and in the homes of their children and grandchildren, and generations yet to be born. Father, I pray that you would begin to spark in them a joy, totally motivated by your grace, of what could you do in the life of my, of my life, in the life of my spouse, and in the life of my kids, and of my grandkids, and the future generations. God, what could you do? God, I pray that you would begin to soften their hearts to that experience, Lord. That you would soften their hearts to the family fun day on September 2nd and Dr. Williams on the 3rd and Pastor Hal in the following week. Lord, soften hearts. Move in families, God. Move in this church. I pray for anybody that does not know you, Father, that they would come to know you and believe that you came, that you died, that you rose again. Father, we love and we trust you, Lord, as we move into a time of communion, God, as we remember what you've done for us. I pray, God, that we would be able to meet with you, we would be honest with ourselves and with you, and remember the wonderful, miraculous sacrifice of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Every one of you received a, a little communion packet when you walked in. If you want to go ahead and remove the cellophane from that on the top and on the bottom, just don't spill it on yourself. We're going to have this time of communion and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we won't read all of it, but Paul provides a warning for the church at Corinth and he says, many of you are taking communion, taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. He even says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you are even dying he, makes, he brings the level of seriousness of communion up for us. And here, here's the truth of that. If you're a believer, regardless if you're a member of this church or not, if you're a believer, the table, so to speak, is open to you. It's actually something that we're called to do, to, to take communion in remembrance of him. But if you're not a believer, don't take communion. Just hold off. This is a wonderful place for you to ask questions. The shepherding elders are going to be up here later for prayer. Pastor Paul's here. Pastor Hunter's here. There's other believers in this church that would love to sit down and talk with you about why. Why do I have to wait? Just hold off. If you don't know him, but you'd want to know him, maybe today is the day of repentance and faith. For us as believers, we're going to start with the body. I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. This is Paul saying, 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Spend a moment in prayer. Father, as your saints come to you, Lord, we we thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was spilt that would eventually lead to the resurrection, that that blood could be applied to our lives and we could be called righteous because of what Jesus, how Jesus lived and what he did on the cross and who he is to this day. I pray, Lord, that if anyone doesn't know you and hasn't experienced what it means to be changed by you, that today would be the day. Be with us as we worship, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.